Hello and welcome to the next episode of Transforming Care and Clinical Support, our podcast series from Home Group. I'm Dr Nick and today we are talking about the issues that are affecting our care workforce right at this very moment. To do this, I'm joined by my very special guest, Vic Rayner, OBE and Chief Executive Officer of the National Care Forum. Well, hello to Vic Rayner. Thank you so much for joining us today on this lovely podcast. Vic is the um, Chief Executive Officer of the National Care Forum. Have I got that right, Vic? You you have, Nick. Thank you very much. And thank you for inviting <laughs> me to, to join you on this podcast. Oh, I'm so pleased you've given up your time, especially now that you are, uh, you know, somewhat of a celebrity in the sector. Oh, yeah. Mm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> We were hoping to chat through some of the factors affecting our care workforce at the moment. I think workforce is an issue that transcends, you know, organisational boundaries, probably regional boundaries. And it's something that we're all grappling with at the moment. So I'd be dead keen to just hear your views on where we are and maybe where you think we can get to over the next few years, actually, and some of the opportunities, because I know it's a bit gloomy. Yeah, but I think that hopefully, the, hopefully, there's some positive opportunities for our workforce as well in the future. Great. Well, let, I'd love to. It's something that I'm hugely interested in, and I think it's something that unless we get it right, we're going to have building in huge problems for the future. I guess to start off with, we'd probably have to kind of go back a bit and uh, to understand sort of where we are now is not is partly a symptom of COVID, but actually is something that's much longer, uh, much further back in terms of the sort of particularly the kind of structural level of vacancies that exist within the care sector. So pre-COVID, a body called Skills for Care, who's the sector skills body for, for social care, had determined or every year would bring out a report that says we've got a level of vacancies in the social care sector that is you know x and and after a period of time they started to kind of compare the number of vacancies with large structural buildings uh, as a way to kind of conceptualize it so they used to sort of say you know uh, there's 90,000 vacancies in the care sector, which is the same as Wembley Arena. So, you know, people could imagine, you know, all the people in Wembley Arena and none of them being there. That's what we're missing on every day in social care. And then the next year it would go up and you had to sort of add on another building like, you know, this is now Wembley Arena plus the O2. And then it, go, it kind of goes up. You know, we've been sitting with around about 100,000 or so vacancies on any given day for probably, you know, four or five years, if not longer. And at the same time, the same body predicting that we were going to need an additional 300,000, 350,000, even half a million staff uh, within the next 10 to 15 years uh, in order to meet demographic changes in need. So there's always been this this mismatch in terms of kind of uh, uh, vacancies levels. Now, clearly, COVID has made that worse in that, you know, what's happened within this this last two year period is that not only have we sustained that level of vacancies, it got a little bit better for a bit when, you know, lots of people were furloughed and out of other work. Um, but then it's it's got worse again, significantly worse. And also lots of people who worked in the sector for a very long time have left um, because they've been under such enormous pressure. Uh, and at the same time, um, they have, you know, we've also uh, got an ageing workforce. 
Um, we've, we, we have a, a large number, particularly when you look at the kind of management level of women in their 40s, 50s. Uh, nothing wrong with that. It's a great age to be. Oh, no, um, absolutely not. <laughs> but, uh, you know, who who may be thinking about retirement or, or will be thinking about it in the next sort of five to 10 years. sort of. And, and we also are very poor as a sector in terms of bringing in and keeping younger people to work uh, across social care. It's a very female dominated um, workforce. 82% of the workforce is, is um, female. A lot of part time working goes on in the sector. And we also, as I'm sure we can come, keep coming back to, we pay people at very uh, low rates of pay for what is a highly skilled role. And what's been happening over the last five years or so is that, you know, we've been a low paid workforce amongst a, a range of other low paid workforces, including hospitality, retail and a number of other service based industries. A lot of those other industries have increased their pay rates. And social care hasn't in any significant way. Uh, and so we're now in a position where I think it's ourselves and possibly hair, the hairdressing profession who are down as the lowest paid co large cohort of workforce. Yeah. So it's a re so and, and, and the t you know, we've got multiple organisations in the sector. So we've got 20,000 plus employers in the sector, all of whom have different terms and conditions. And we're trying to compete with big retail companies, big hospitality companies, Obviously, the health service um, and others against a, a you know more imaginative, more kind of uh, sort of supportive set of terms and conditions. So there's lots and lots of things kind of going on. When we talk about you said workforce is a big issue, and and boy is it a big issue, uh, and and a big topic, and something that's quite kind of you know. And I think this is the challenge: is when we think about addressing one problem that we might have, we start to see that you've got to you can't you can't do it in a piecemeal way we've got to really try and find a way to lift and shift the whole workforce into being better paid better resourced and uh, better trained and developed and make social care a career that everybody wants to and aspire to so we've got a big challenge ahead but we've got to do it because we need to have people we need to have a workforce that can deliver against the quality care standards that we all aspire to have delivered and it's such a great industry you know, yet despite all of those challenges, it's such a brilliant place to work, isn't it? And the heart and soul that you see every day that these these individuals delivering brilliant care, I've, I've found it more inspiring, actually, than a lot of the years that I spent working in healthcare. So it's, it's worth the fight. And it's great that we've got people like yourselves in a national capacity trying to bring us all together under that mantle. Do you think there's an appreciation from, I don't know, well, from the, the politicians, the national policy leaders, do you think they understand, you know, how, I suppose, how acute the problem is for us no. in social care? No. I mean, I think if they did, they'd have to do something about it in a way. I mean, I think they... I think there's an there's a much better understanding I would hope of what social care is and does in within government uh, than there might have been pre pre pandemic but but at the same time I think there is a challenge for politicians um in terms of their understanding and you see that reflected often in the narrative that you know politicians will give so uh I know we don't probably want to talk about it in a lot of detail but one of the recent things was the vaccination as a condition of deployment well when the Secretary of State described working in care, he said, if you want to be 
going in and helping somebody get up, helping them get dressed and helping to feed them, then you need to get a, if you want to deliver care, then you need to get a vaccination. And that was it. Like that was the end of the kind of the entirety of care, the the full (laughs) grasp of the kind of role that people play. Yeah. And of course, you know, who does that sound? That's an important part of it. But that's not the thing that gets people out of bed to go and kind of do the do the work. And, And even politicians who are really, really passionate advocates for it slip into a very high level understanding or very narrow understanding of seeing social care as as being only around kind of the delivery of personal care tasks that people are unable to do uh, independently. So I think there's something about the complexity of care that is is really not understood by by most politicians. But I also think that um, we've got so much more work to do to kind of get the general public to sort of support and understand care and I mean I I try and think about you know that (laughs) this is common sort of idea that really I think what we need is a sort of soap opera around care care homes or care sector or something you know that idea that what we really need to do is to kind of you know make it that everybody understands what care workers do so it's a part of, you know, there's 1.6 million people doing this job. Now, they're all doing very different things within it. And of course, you know, any any sort of media kind of focuses in on a small portion. But to understand the level of accountability that people have, the complexity of the decision making that they do, the level of skills and knowledge and expertise they have about the people that they're working with and the conditions that they may have and about the, the ways in which they can support them, you know, that the the, the variation in in a day's work it's almost impossible to think of doing that in any other environment which is why there's so many people who come into care and stay with it it's also why there's so many people who come into care and it doesn't suit them because it's it's highly responsible and it's in and it and it does it does give you a great reward but you, you know what comes with that is is that is is some great responsibility so i think the politicians haven't quite got it um i think the reform agenda grasps the fact that we need a variety of things to enhance the pathways for people who come in. Uh, it grasps the fact that there's a well-being agenda that's not properly being served around social care employees. And it sort of recognises that some of the sort of structural things that get in the way of people moving around organisations like a sort of digital skills passport or something that takes you from one job to another. You know, those are important things. But what it doesn't do is say, we see that this is a highly skilled and and expert job and therefore we need to pay people properly to deliver it. And and until we can get politicians into that space, I think we're going to continue to struggle with the problems that we have right now in terms of vacancies and, and turnover and all the things that are, you know, allowing money to kind of fall out of the system, but also letting down the staff and the people we provide care for. We discuss it all the time, you know, when you're just chewing the fat and putting the world to rights and pretending that you're a politician. One of the things that, you know, I've, I've long thought in, in social care, it would be really useful to acknowledge the disciplines within it, because not every, like you've so beautifully put it, not every care worker is the same. And there are career, there are opportunities for specialisms within care. We, I mean, a, a topic close to my heart is obviously the transforming care agenda, which is the high end, complex end of care, where you, you do see this convergence between health and social care, 
at a greater level and some of the skills crossing over, you know, with your applied behavioral analysts or positive behavior support and psychology. And there's such an opportunity for us in social care to develop extended roles. Do you think there's potential for that to emerge over the next few years? I think, I mean, what a lot of people are looking to is is the ICS, is the integrated care systems, to think about some of that in the context of shared workforce planning. So yes, I think I hope there are possibilities around that. And I know that's quite a a lot of our members who, like yourself, work particularly with working age adults and particularly around those levels of complex needs, are doing more strategic work with health commissioners and health trusts and and authorities. And, And I think that is where you're seeing that real understanding of of the kind of both the professionalism of the care delivery, but also uh, um, mirroring that with the kind of clinical skills and expertise. I think we continue to face a sort of fundamental challenge about how the training of those roles happens. So if you are working uh, as a nurse or if you've been trained as a nurse or if you've been trained as a physiotherapist or, you know, your likelihood of having had specific um, experience or placements or um, connection with social care is very limited. And I think that if we can shift the narrative around that, I know from meeting with you and colleagues, you know, what seems like a lifetime ago, you know, you had you've got lots of colleagues who come from a kind of community base. But even in that context, they were, you know, that there's much more we can be doing with community colleagues. That's starting to happen a little bit around the whole delegated tasks agenda. So um, through things like the Enhanced Health and Care Homes programme and um, the fact, again, in COVID that lots of community nursing tasks particularly were having to be delegated into homes so around peg feeds and around uh, you know diabetes uh, checks and insulin injections and heparin injections you know so there's a sort of there's been a, a shifting of the boundaries in a way and a merging of the kind of clinical and health and care kind of expertise but what never seems to happen with those things is for the is for the money to flow with it or 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 a recognition of the expertise and it's kind of uh, you know maybe we're just not very sharp negotiators in all of this uh in, in a way you can't imagine saying to a gp right okay suddenly can you just take on you know you never used to you know do the uh, whatever it might be, you, ne- you know, you never used to, well, let's take vaccination. You never used to have to vaccinate the whole population with six weeks notice. Could you do it now? Uh, just do it alongside everything else you do? You know, squeeze it in? No. I mean, at the height of that, they were being paid per vaccination, you know, sort of 20, 30 pounds, you know. So so what, in social care, somehow we seem to kind of absorb the the, the requirements without getting either the money or the recognition for staff. So maybe if we could really be hard, you know, clearer about that. And the ICS, I think, is the opportunity to think about those, where those responsibilities are shared, the funding and and therefore the training and therefore, uh, you know, the agenda is shared around that. That would be that would be a great start. I'm, I, you know, I'm not an ICS expert. I can see that they're recruiting currently. They're members and the executive leaders and pulling the boards together is there in the way that your understanding of of it working will there be a delegated seat for social care or is is that going to be through local authority partners it's it's through local authority partners yeah there is definitely no seat for social care at the uh, ics at the board level Uh, there might be 
uh, and it's it's been described as what's called a permissive agenda. So there might be something more um, possible at the partnership board level, but it's not been determined. And I think it's probably I think it's absolutely essential because if you're going to sit and determine how you want to meet community and population health needs without the people who could be part of that delivery, who could bring their kind of innovation and bring their ideas and bring their models of delivery to the table, then I think it's going to be really hard. You know, I think about lots of the innovative stuff that Home Group has done. And, you know, that that's what the IC, you know, that's what the ICS needs to be hearing about and needs to be saying, right, we need some of that here. Um, and if we don't, you know, we that's we, we're certainly working hard to try and get a better understanding of how providers can contribute to those strategic discussions. Absolutely. And that's why we're lucky that we've got an organisation like yourselves that is out there championing the cause on our collective behalf. Um, One of the things that we've enjoyed doing, actually, it's a positive, you know, we can't fill all the vacancies, but we we can innovate. And one of the things that um, I'm really proud that the team's done, we've got some apprenticeships. So we're growing our own OTs within social care and we've got a number of occupational therapy apprentices actually which is really nice and a large proportion of them come from people who've been actively working as support workers brilliant so we're trying to keep people in the industry you know and give them what they need to grow which is really exciting because I hope they'll stay in social care forever yeah as occupational therapists no and that's fantastic and and that you know that role. I uh, my mum is an OT, so I'm very very. <laughs> I have to be very. You know, I remember her telling me. Uh, you know, all the all the and and I think and I think you know that the the capacity of that role to really transform uh, both individuals, you know, individuals' lives, but also if you go back to that sort of how do you incorporate learning about social care into into any OTs training when when I've been talking with OTs who've been on sort of placement in in uh, care homes or or in community settings you know particularly you think about these sort of wraparound services that lots of organizations are thinking about offering as part of the discharge uh, arrangement you know they're, they're even within a very short period of time their ability to share that expertise about you know how people are seated, about how they uh, are engaged, about meaningful activities, about you know how to support independent living to enable people to be as independent as possible within within whatever setting. I, th- I mean, these are sort of critical skills, and I think yeah, I mean the people who are doing care work would be absolutely ideal for that. That's brilliant, and and brilliant that you're able to get that develop a kind of you know a, a community of interest of, of people within the services that can do that yeah it's really exciting I'd like to see more into like we've discussed interchangeable career pathways so that we can yeah have more movement yeah you know it's love you're in a, 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 a wonderful position as a large organization you know with with the ability to do that I, th- I think thinking about how you then as an organization might support other smaller providers in the localities that you're doing that in so that they too can either offer placements or they can offer support or they could pick take people on for themselves where they can't they can't design the training program themselves but they could make it viable by adding in you know so there's lots of I think there's some interesting stuff around uh, that and there are some bits of the country where care providers have very actively come together to think about how they passport and share training amongst them and and those are I think 
you know, that's, again, something we would be hoping that the ICS might try and facilitate in a more effective way. Yeah, that that would that would be great, wouldn't it? Mm. We'd definitely be all behind that role for innovation. So given that we've got too many vacancies and not enough people to entice into the sector, even with all of that lovely emotional reward, do you think that we might end up doing something similar to, to the, what the NHS has had to do with recruiting from, you know, outside of the UK? Do you think that might be something that social care has to do? Is it something you know that people are doing? Yeah, I mean, it's, well, A, it's something that people have always done. It's always been part of the workforce, actually. You know, expertise from colleagues from across the world has been a a big part of social care delivery. And I think people have benefited from that enormously over the years. So, yes, people are interested in doing that. Um, You might be aware the Migration Advisory Committee made a recommendation at the end of the last year to uh, for the government to immediately put care workers onto the shortage occupation list. So that is one thing that people can do. Um, I think that there are lots of what we haven't done properly in social care yet is take advantage of some of the digital uh, opportunities that I think that there are that, that connect up with workforce. Um, you know, I talked about early on that need for another 350 to half a million workers, depending on what sort of, you know, there are not going to be, I mean, I, you know, I hate to be the bearer of bad tidings, but there are not another 350 or half a million people sitting out there who are thinking, hmm, maybe social care is for me, because the demography doesn't allow for that. I mean, even the government's impact assessment uh, around the reform agenda talked about some parts of the country that in the next sort of 10 to 15 years will have 50% of the population who are overworking age. So that, you know, that is, that means that you've got a very small pool of people who are eligible to work. Now, unless we make social care really, really attractive, this will not be the career they choose to work in. So we've got a dwindling population, working age population across the country, which will be specific, you know, in some parts of the country will be much more significant than others. Those areas, particularly where people choose to retire to some of the more rural areas, they'll be very even more hard hit than they already are. So we've got that dwindling pool of, of, of possible working age and we've got other industries like retail, hospitality and others who can flex their offer to attract people in, in a way that we're just not able to do in social care. So we have to look at the digital offer. We have to say, you know, what are the things that are done? And I know people hate the idea of this because, you know, what people want is people. Well, yes, but what people also want is, um, you know, to get things done when they need them and, uh, uh, and the way they need them. So, you know, I don't think what people want is some of the, you know, some of the very challenging decisions that were having to be made over Christmas when, particularly with the advent of Omicron, there were very, very significant staff shortages at short notice. And people were being, you know, people who were waiting at home in the community, particularly, um, were finding that their sort of visit to support them in terms of getting uh, up and getting engaged or ready to go to work or whatever it might be were happening, you know, or yeah, were happening at 11 o'clock rather than 8 o'clock. So that isn't what people want. You know, people don't want to be reliant. So we need to find a kind of, you know, for people who are able to, uh, have some solution that's supported by technology we need to get much quicker at rolling that out so that's one thing and then I think it is about how we 
how we professionalize and i do take you know i i, I recognize your professional kind of skills and qualifications and i don't take that word lightly in that sense but how we how we properly professionalize care work so that people see it as something that they they too want to embark on as as a profession because that's what you know that's what it is you know all bar the letters it is a profession and no I, f- I fully agree fully agree and having worked on both sides yeah absolutely it is a profession and people should be acknowledged for their skills and knowledge and paid appropriately in fact I'd love to see a flip more given to social care with the right the right funding I think more can be done effectively in communities than can ever be done in hospitals actually yeah because well because if you stop you know that I mean you know we don't need to talk about in a way you know lots more about the prevention agenda but you know that idea I mean the whole notion of taking kind of assessment criteria in local authorities to the point of acute need only doesn't work I mean it doesn't work for people and it doesn't work for for money because all that happens is people are at the point then when they're unable to do to take on board things that they might have been able to do to change their lives to be able to remain independent absolutely so it doesn't it's not working in that sense no it's not I was on a really interesting um it was an event a round table event with um hacked actually the the housing forum and they had really interesting people and some of that discussion was actually if you were being radically different what might mental health specifically what might that look like and we were discussing actually if you put some of the hospital teams and even the you know health community teams if they were located in social care how might that affect things you know if we did mix things up along those boundaries and integrated them I know it's a dirty word but actually did it in a different way who knows what opportunity we might see in that for the populations that we're here to help I do hope that we get braver in the next five, ten years. I hope that we see, you know, there's some great ideas from the workforce out there. I do hope we get the chance to do some of it. Yeah, and I think you're right. So many of those ideas do sit within the workforce and with people who we're providing care and support for. We don't listen anywhere near enough to those people who would be able to tell us really very clearly what what would work and what what wouldn't work you know we've we we've talked a lot about personalization and transforming care as another example of that and and yet we just can't seem whether it's about letting go of power or you know what 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 are the underlying things that are in there or you know we let structures and systems stop it every time we're talking about something that we say we believe in person-centered care or personalization or you know transform but all the time we're putting barriers in the way of doing that or barriers in the way of staff being able to deliver the care that people want. I feel really passionately that we, when we talk about uh, developing um, what new training or what a new care certificate or something like that will look like, that we have to have people who employ their own care and support staff um, really at the centre of that discussion because I, I find it really you know, it's very difficult when you're hearing about people who do employ their own staff saying that they what they really don't want is people who've worked in traditional care services in that sense. Care itself is is uh, not flexible and responsive. And it is. The things that I see delivered very much are. But the, but the structure and the kind of, you know, the sort of this must happen in this kind of way is, doesn't provide that level of flexibility and responsiveness that I think 
people want. And that's the shift, isn't it? That's the very different thing about care to health. What the kind of care people want to deliver is the sort of care people say they want. Whereas the kind of health care that we expect is the health care that somebody's told us we need. And it's a really different relationship. It's really, really different. And it's such a skill to be able to hear what somebody wants and realise your role in terms of making that possible for them. And I think in the training and the development and the structure for health care staff is very different because it's based around a notion of expertise. It, it is interesting, you know, and there's a diff, there's all, there's nuances in healthcare. There's, so there's hospital care, and we always said my background was community care and delivering care to somebody in their environment, in their home, on their turf. There was something very special about that, and it was because, as rightly so, they're they're the ones in power. It's, it's their environment and I do believe that there is a psychological shift that happens when you walk into a hospital and I, I do I fully agree it's about what people want and they do know themselves much better mm. than anyone else mm. definitely and families you know engaging them and bringing people into the conversation that's where the magic happens well there's some things there's some things we do need we need a proper workforce plan and we need to recognize that we, Let's pay people for the job that they do. So I think those are things that, you know, we probably all could be in agreement on, but but still feel a long way from getting political agreement for. So those are those are sort of really kind of important things that unless we unless we deal with them rapidly, we're going to find that we are in a much worse position in five to 10 years time because there'll be less available workforce just generally in the population and and we won't have cracked the nut about how to encourage younger people in to the sector and the people who are currently aging in 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 our care workforce will be you know rightfully putting their feet up is there is there anything that your organizations um is there a call to arms is there opportunities for us as providers to come together to work on some of this that you can see in the future Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think there's lots of opportunities for that. One of the things that the National Care Forum does, I hope, very well is to bring together providers um, uh, as as employers and as and in relation to their practice around the delivery of care. So that's uh, available for not-for-profit care providers. And, and uh, you know, please do go and sort of take a look. I think the things that the call for action are around those kind of central areas. One of them is about that planning, getting a proper plan that um, meaningfully talks about the kind of how you how you enable um, the development of the right staff uh, and the um, right skills and professional expertise that are there. And the second of those is about uh, a proper shake up around the kind of pay terms and conditions that makes it you know whether that whether your agenda is around parity which I know for a lot of people there is uh, or whether it's around improving parity with the NHS in that context or whether it's around sort of improving conditions uh, so that you can compete with local wages um, but but what it has to be about I think I mean I you know you, you you've worked in the health service I mean the the transformation that seemed to come through for agenda for change seems like the sort of step change that we need to make uh, within the sector uh, and that you know that means then that people can see if they move into care they have got opportunities and pathways that across all employers 
they'll benefit from those uh, if they if they are a specialist or senior worker or whatever there's an understanding of what that brings to the table it's difficult because we're lots of individual organizations all across the piece but we're all trying to deliver the same things and i think as long as we can influence things like the fair price for care agenda which is another part of the reform piece so that organizations if they're asked to employ against those kind of structures are equally funded in order to do that then we can move things forward oh well i am very very grateful that you've given up your time to talk to me today vic really appreciate it and who knows you know, there might be another podcast on a different topic that we can come together on. There seems seems to be a lot of hot topics at the moment, which is brilliant for oh, yes. discussion yeah. points. Yeah, yeah. But you know, we can't we can't yeah. fix it all. But I think having visibility that discussions are happening and hopefully it'll inspire others to talk about the issues or, you know, they might take something interesting away from it. If people have any questions or want to learn a bit more about your organisation or how they can get involved and make contact with you, is there a best way to do that? Yeah, yeah, there's lots of different ways you can do that. So, I mean, we have a website, which is the nationalcareforum.org.uk, where lots of the things we talked about in terms of workforce pressures, uh, endless surveys and, and uh, you know, work that we've done around that and some interesting new resources about international recruitment are all stored on there you can always follow um ncf on on twitter or follow me directly so at vic rayner or at ncf care forum and you know very very happy to hear from anybody directly uh, if they've got any particular questions so that'd be great excellent and i'm happy to endorse we're a member and it's been hugely beneficial so go and look the ncf up great thank you so much you're very welcome In the next episode of Transforming Care and Clinical Support, we will explore the academic works of Professor Chrissy Rogers, Director of Tizard Centre. Looking forward to seeing you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.